0: I remember that time when my kids were younger, playing a game of hide-and-seek and and my daughter came running into the room where I was. She always loved to hide in the room that I was. And in the excitement of this particular moment, she said, Dad, tell my brothers I'm hiding over here. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I can do that. And she meant to say, don't tell my brothers that I'm hiding over here. But when the brothers came in and asked, have you seen Miranda? I said, she told me to tell you that she's hiding over here. And then she was so frustrated they had found her so fast. But That's part of the joy of that game lost and found. But do you ever feel like life sometimes is like that? A game of lost and found. That maybe God is somewhere out there hiding. But he's not telling us where he is. Today we're going to look at a passage that Dr. Long had just written. A well-known story about Jesus' encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. And in this, we're going to learn a little bit about hide-and-seek. And it's not so much that God is hiding from us, but that we've been hiding from Him. And we're going to see this truth highlighted for us in this encounter that Jesus had with this man named Zacchaeus. So we're going to call our study today, The Mission of Jesus. And if I had the space I would have put on here, The Mission of Jesus According to Jesus, because we're going to see Jesus articulate why He is seeking out this man named Zacchaeus. And if you're here today just trying to figure out what Christianity is about, to explore, to go deeper in it, you maybe could not pick a better day because here we're going to hear Jesus articulate clearly what his intents are and what his purpose is in his mission. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we're going to hear once again not only that wonderful truth that Jesus knows us and knows us deeply, but that he desires to envelop us into the story of God and to use us in reaching other people as well. So let's pause for just a moment and ask the Lord to teach us to take this story, which for some of us may be very familiar, and to use it again and afresh in our life this day. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look at this story of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, this wee little man as the kids' song goes, I pray that you would teach us um, us truth, But more than that, help us to be changed and transformed by that truth. As we see Jesus encountering Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus encountering Jesus and the radical effect that that had on this man who was a tax collector. Lord, help us to understand um, and to see ourselves in this story as those who desperately need to be found by you. And so open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive the things that are contained for us this day in the gospel of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So, friends, we're told that Jesus went to Jericho. He entered this city and he was passing through. And Jericho was one of three main places of tax collecting for the Roman government. The other was Jerusalem and the other one was Capernaum, Jesus' home base. And so, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he stops by this place named Jericho. And we're told, behold, it's just a fancy way of saying, look, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now, this is not the first time we've encountered tax collectors in the Gospel of Luke. Here's a graphic of an actor who uh, is playing the Matthew the tax collector one of the Jesus disciples. And let's just remind ourselves that these tax collectors were despised. Nobody liked them at all because they were Jews who were working for the Roman government. And the Roman government had a set amount of money they could collect from people, and anything they could collect beyond that, the Roman government didn't care. And so they were known as cheats and and thugs and and really seen as traitors. And, And as we're working our way through this gospel and we see tax collectors come up again, over and over again, let's just be reminded that Jesus invited a tax collector to be a part of his group of disciples. We're told in the Gospel of Matthew, for example, that Jesus saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, I imagine this raised a number of eyebrows among people who were looking at Jesus and wondering who this new upstart guy was. Probably a few eyebrows were raised, maybe just a little bit of grumbling in the background. But as the gospel writer Matthew tells us, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? This was a scandalous thing. Rabbis in that day did not associate with those outcasts, especially with anyone who could be described as a sinner, and certainly not among those traitorous people. But here Jesus welcomes one of those traitorous, thug-collecting tax collectors uh, to be a part of his team. And when Jesus hears them grumbling, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... For I came to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so here in the Gospel of Matthew, we hear one of Jesus' famous mission statements. That he has come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to himself. And so that's why he's hanging out with these tax collectors. And so back in the Gospel of Luke, when we're told that there's a tax collector named Zacchaeus, he's not just simply a tax collector. He's one of the chief tax collectors. That means he's worked his way up and he has thugs working below him, and he gets a cut of everything that they collect as well. And everyone would know him. And we're told that he was rich. That's probably an understatement. People saw him passing through town, dressed in the finest garbs, and they just despised him. They know that the luxurious house that he lived in was built off the funds that he collected from them, over and above what they was, he was supposed to collect. And so everyone in Jerusalem, I'm sorry, in Jericho, despised him. No one liked him. And he probably got to that point where he just didn't care anymore. He looked at them and just saw dollar signs. But there's something else here that I think is supposed to resonate with us. That word rich, the last time we heard that word rich was just a little bit earlier in this same chapter when we're told that this rich man came to Jesus. You remember that story? This rich man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, honor your mother and father. And he said, all these I have kept since my youth. And Jesus said to him, one thing you still lack. Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And then we're told this by Jesus. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So just earlier in this chapter, we heard Jesus make this statement, and now he's encountering a rich person. I love the way that Kent Hughes described this tax collector, this chief tax collector. He said, he was the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel and had the scruples of a modern-day crack dealer. He was filthy rich in the fullest sense of the term. So he was a despised rich man who got his wealth by just cheating his brothers and sisters, and and no one liked him. But we're told in verse 3 that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by. So here we're told Zacchaeus Was small in stature, he can't see who Jesus is, so he runs ahead of the crowd. He climbs up in this sycamore tree to see Jesus as he passes by. But did you notice how Luke phrased it? He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Not just seeking to see Jesus, but seeking to see who Jesus was. I wonder what had perked his interest. Maybe he knew Matthew the tax collector and wondered why anyone would give up everything they had and follow this man from Nazareth. Or maybe, just maybe, he got to that point that so many of us do. That wealth can buy a lot of fun things, but they really don't satisfy deep at the core of our being. So he's surrounded with all his wealth and he's incredibly empty. Maybe he's just tired of being the kind of guy he is. Tired of hating and tired of cheating and tired of using people and tired of people being angry with him. And so maybe Jesus is coming by and he's heard great things about him. And he's just wanting to see who this man is That is stirring so much interest. We're not sure what's going on here. But he's seeking to see, not just simply see Jesus, but who Jesus is. Maybe he's heard that this man from Nazareth, that everyone is clamoring to see stops and has dinner with people like him. And so when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. For those of us who know this story, we're probably tempted to rush through this phrase right here. Notice that he just calls out his name, Zacchaeus. How did he know Zacchaeus' name? Imagine if you're Uh, let's say Billy Graham comes to town and everyone's clamoring around and and sees him and and you run ahead and you jump up on a wall and he's passing by and he says to you, Catherine or he says to you, Megan how does he know my name? Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name and he says to them, hurry and come down Not just, I see you up there. What are you doing up there, you crazy man? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. What an interesting way to put it. That word must in the Greek language means it's necessary. I have to do this. I love the way R.C. Sproul put it. There was an urgency behind Jesus' words. He was saying, it is imperative that I come to your house today. So here's the interesting thing. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. And Jesus is wanting to see, or seeking to see, Zacchaeus for a particular purpose. And here's a point I want to emphasize. Long before you you ever became interested in Jesus, Jesus was already interested in you. Before you even heard the name of Jesus, Jesus already knew your name. Before any of us wanted to know who Jesus was, Jesus was already at work behind the scenes orchestrating things so that we could come to know him. In verse 6 we're told that he, that is Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. That's an interesting way to put it. Sure, he's excited that Jesus has singled him out. Sure, he's excited Jesus wants to talk to him. I imagine he has a lot of questions. But we're told that he received him joyfully. Luke gets really sparse with the details of the story here. But I wonder if we're meant to read a lot into this. This man, who had nothing to do with religious people beforehand, who probably despised all the Pharisees who despised him, now sees this man Jesus, and Jesus calls him by name, tells him to come to him. So Zacchaeus stops and receives him joyfully. We're told, for example, in the Gospel of John, that to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he, that is Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. We sing this song, Jesus, I do now receive him, more than all in him I find. He has granted me forgiveness. I am his, and he is mine. Whatever is happening here, there's an encounter between Zacchaeus, this despised, dirty, rotten, filthy, rich scoundrel, and Jesus. And now we're finding that Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. Philip Graham Graham Reichen in his commentary on Luke put it like this. It was the ultimate divine appointment. Zacchaeus did not stop for Jesus. Jesus stopped for Zacchaeus. He even called him by name as if he had known him from all eternity. Jesus was on a divine mission. He had come to seek and to save the lost, and to that end, he invited himself over for dinner. This is the way Jesus saves lost sinners. He does it by walking right into our lives, even uninvited. I love that. It was interesting because. Jesus didn't say, hey, can we hang out? Or could I come over to your house? Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. I have to come talk with you. I need to spend time with you. And man, just that good news from Jesus changed his heart. So we're told that he hurried and came down and received them joyfully. But not everyone was excited about this. We're told in verse 8, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Isn't that interesting? All these crowds who clamored to see Jesus now take on the attitude of the religious leaders who despised this man that everyone would call a sinner. It's not just now the religious people who are looking down their nose at Zacchaeus, but now the entire crowd is looking at this situation where Jesus is having a conversation with a man that he should leave alone. Why did they respond that way? Why couldn't they have seen this encounter that Jesus had with Zacchaeus as an amazing thing and go, I wonder what Jesus is going to do here. I wonder if he's going to be able to reach through and grab hold of this man at the depth of his being. I wonder if this man is going to find salvation that Jesus has talked about. That would have been an interesting and curious response. But they just despised this situation. Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Of course, if you're a sinner, this is great news. (laughs) That Jesus wants to come and spend time with people like you and me. That Jesus wants to teach you that he wants to grab hold of your heart, that he wants to influence us, that he wants to transform us. That's great news. But all these people in the crowd at Jericho could just look at this and shake their head. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you like to have heard the conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus in that house? I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that moment. We're not told that Jesus spent five minutes with him or five hours with him. We're not told anything about that conversation. And man, it must have been amazing. I would love to have been there. But we are told what happened at the very end of it. Verse 9, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. There's that word behold again. It means look. Younger people would would say, Check this out. (laughs) And he calls Jesus Lord. Not teacher, not rabbi. Those would have been appropriate terms. But he sees them as Lord. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This is an amazing response this man has to encountering Jesus and his grace. He says, look, Lord, check this out. The half of my goods I'm going to give to the, to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, which probably means just about everyone. (laughs) I'm going to restore it fourfold. This is a radical effect of grace in the life of this man. What's interesting is the law of Moses did require restitution, but it wasn't this much. For example, in the book of Leviticus, we're told that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor... If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took through robbery or what he got by oppression, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it. So under the the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the Torah, if you lived in Israel at the time and you stole something from someone or got it through oppression, you're required to restore it back 100% and then add a fifth to it. But here Zacchaeus says, look, if, if I've stolen anything from anyone, if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to give it all back. And then I'm going to do it fourfold. <laughs> What's going on here in the life of Zacchaeus? He's doing exactly what Paul the Apostle would later say. They should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. That is, when we return to God, we say, we're sorry, Lord, for what we've done. Please forgive me. And we experience that grace. We prove our turning back to him by a new life, by living a beautiful life, by performing deeds, not in order to earn salvation, but in keeping with our repentance in order to demonstrate that salvation. So here's this man, Zacchaeus, now giving away his wealth. Here's this man, Zacchaeus, who is transformed by his encounter with Jesus he simply didn't care about riches anymore not like he did before because he had found or rather had been found by someone who is infinitely more satisfying you see currency ceased to be the definition of his life (laughs) he has found someone who is better than life a treasure that is greater than any treasure he had accumulated to date and because he had found Jesus or rather he had been found by Jesus he's just simply giving it all away now Now, my friends, Luke, the writer of this gospel, wants things to be resonating in your mind right now. By placing this story about Zacchaeus here in his account of the life and teaching of Jesus, Luke is intentionally contrasting Zacchaeus to the rich ruler we had just heard about. Remember, the rich ruler came to Jesus. And Jesus says, there's one thing that you lack. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. He couldn't have Jesus and that wealth. It was, it was an idol for him. So Jesus said you got to get rid of it. And come follow me. You'll have great treasure. And so what, what Luke is doing by placing these two stories here next to one another he's saying this. Look a camel has just gone through the eye of a needle. What we thought was impossible with man, now is indeed possible with God. Specifically, the mercy of God and the grace of God expressed through Jesus Christ. The rich young ruler loved his wealth more than Jesus. And this chief tax collector with his encounter with Jesus now found himself more in love with Jesus than with all of his wealth. Look, a camel has just entered through the eye of the needle. Look, This sinner has just entered the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says in verse 9, He said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. What an interesting phrase. Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. What does that mean that he was a son of Abraham? Well, he was a Jew. And ethnically he descended from Abraham. Abraham longed to see the day of Jesus. And now Zacchaeus was able to see the day of Jesus. And even though he was a Jew, he was what Jesus would describe as one of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so this is one of the reasons Jesus came, was to restore lost sheep like Zacchaeus. And so he says, today salvation has come to his house. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? Who came to his house? Jesus came to his house. And yet Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. You see, my friend, where Jesus is, their salvation is. And then Jesus caps it off by saying, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Here's another mission statement from Jesus. Just like in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, here is another phrase from the lips of Jesus that helps us to understand who he is and what he was all about. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. My friends, this would be a good verse to memorize if you don't have it memorized. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. What is the mission of Jesus? The mission of Jesus is to seek and to save the lost. And so he uses this phrase, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is that phrase from the book of Daniel about this individual who would be given all glory and honor and dominion and all the nations would come and serve him. And yet we see the Son of Man now serving the lost. Jesus came to seek out and to save the lost. Or we could put it like this. Jesus is on a search and rescue mission to bring lost folks into his kingdom. It can be lost folks, like these self-righteous Pharisees and religious leaders who, who just were too wrapped up in their own righteousness. He came to save people like that. But he also came to save dirty, rotten, filthy, rich scoundrels like this tax collector, that everybody despised and no one wanted to talk to you, except Jesus. I'm reminded of what Paul would later say about the work of God in conjunction with Christ. He says in the book of Colossians, He, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is what happened to Zacchaeus. He was delivered from the domain of darkness enslaved to his riches, unable to see the beauty and glory of Christ. And now he's been brought into the kingdom of Christ because Zacchaeus received redemption and the forgiveness of his sins. And my friends, this is exactly what happens to you and me when we encounter Jesus and he grabs hold of us and he saves us. So here's an important question. Why does Luke record this encounter in his historical biography of Jesus? Luke is about to turn the corner for us. He's about to tell us about what was described as Holy Week that we just went through the week prior to Easter, that week where Jesus entered Jerusalem. And as he makes this one final stop in Jericho, it's almost like Luke, in placing this story right here, wants to emphasize for us, in the midst of all the glory and teaching of Jesus, that his mission is to come and to seek and to save the lost. He's about to go and die for the lost. But he's emphasizing for us once again that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. And so we might put it like this. The good life is found in being found by Jesus, the one who came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus thought the good life was found in getting money out of people. But now he realizes, like so many of us have realized, that the good life is found in being found by Jesus, the one who came to seek and to save the lost. So in our remaining time together, my friends, I want us to think through some implications, some ramifications, some applications of this story. And we can probably think of many, but I just want to highlight three of them. And so the first one comes in the form of a question, and that is, do you want to be found? If the mission of Jesus is to seek and to save the lost, do you want to be found by Jesus? See, the scriptures help us to see it's not so much God who is hiding from us. That's not the case at all. But it's we who are hiding from him. For example, the prophet Isaiah put it like this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Or how about this? This should be Psalm 139 here. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that is the grave, you are there. And where can I go to escape from God? Nowhere is the answer. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. We can't hide from God. We can't go anywhere and say in our hearts, don't tell God that I'm hiding over here. How about the prophet Jeremiah? Can a man hide himself in secret places? so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. We can't hide from him if we wanted to. He surrounds us and he is everywhere. And more importantly, he has sent his son Jesus on a search and rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. And so the question is, is do we want to be found? Have you gone from saying, don't tell God where I'm hiding, to Jesus, I'm over here, Please find me. Do you want to be found? Here's the second point of application. Let's talk about what Jesus has done for us. Can you imagine Zacchaeus having this encounter with Jesus and just never talking about it? People say to him, Zacchaeus, what happened to you? You are this rich tax collector who just couldn't get enough money and now you're giving it all away imagine him just saying, I just turned over a new leaf. What happened to me is Jesus happened to me. He came into my life and saved me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. My friends, we, we put this in the song. We sang this earlier. Do you remember these words? I once was lost in darkest night and thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love display. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath, deserved for me. Now all I know is grace." Or how about the song we're going to sing at the end of our service today, Who You Say I Am. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I wonder if Zacchaeus had that sentiment going through his head. I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Or how about this poem from the 1800s? I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek Him seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior true. No, I was found by Thee. Let me ask you this question. Have you been able to put words together about your own personal story of being lost and found by Jesus? It might look like something like this tax collector, where you had a dramatic encounter with Jesus. Or it might look like the case that you've been raised within the church, and you realize how Jesus, even in bringing you into his church at a young age, had grace upon you, and as you grew, you understood how apart from him you are lost, but how Jesus, from the earliest of days, had been seeking after you. I wonder if we could practice with one another. I wonder if we could be curious about one another's stories about being lost and found. What would it be like if we had coffee with one another or grabbed a meal and a hamburger or something like that and we just asked the question, tell me about how Jesus found you. Wouldn't it be interesting to learn more about how God and his grace has been at work in our life seeking us and saving us? So the first point of application was really a question. Do you want to be found? The second point of application was, let's talk about what Jesus has done for us. And then the third point of application is really a further explication of point number two. Let's engage that mission of Jesus. You see, not only did Jesus come to seek and to save the lost, but he came to die for the lost and to reconcile the world to himself. And so before he ascended back into heaven, he told his disciples that now that he had been risen from the dead, All authority had been given to him. And therefore, he commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to not only seek you and find you and save you, but he wants to use you to help other people be found by him as well. I love the way the Apostle Paul put it. In writing to the Corinthian church, he said, I made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, that is to the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul says, I am engaged in the mission of Jesus. I am becoming all things to all people. I'm seeking to enter their world so I can tell them about the story of Jesus. And I'm doing that because I want to share with them in its blessings. Paul could have just kicked back and said, you know what? God has had mercy on me. He found me. I'm going to sit back and enjoy that. But instead he says, I want to press forward and share the gospel with them. That I might share with them in its blessings. That is, he wanted grace to encounter more and more people, to find more and more people, so that he could enter in the joy of salvation with them. So let me ask you this question. How can you grow in winsomely engaging people about the good news of Jesus that you may share with him in its blessings? That's a good question to ponder. How do we need to grow in our ability? to talk about this one who has come to seek and to save us. Let's grow in that. So Mercy Hill Church, may you know the joy of being found by Jesus and may that joy overflow into the lives of others around you.